I was in the SEA organization for 14 years. There were, there were many cri similar crimes that I knew of that were covered up. And that was just the practice of Scientology. I didn't even think to call yeah. 911 when they were trying to kidnap me and bring me back. The type of work that you were doing was instrumental in you being invited to be an expert witness in the Danny Masterson trial. It, it was tough. Nobody wants to go up against a billion dollar cult just for the heck of it. Nothing was done about it when they reported it. And of course, these are just the people that we know about. It's absolutely horrendous. It's disgusting. When you start unpeeling the layers of this and the behavior patterns and the friendship groups and who's involved with what, it is really quite scary. You know, boy. You want to judge somebody by their actions, go read that letter and see see what you think about Ashton Kutcher after that. It, the story hasn't ended there by any stretch of the imagination. I am really happy to have the lovely Claire Headley back on my channel today. Um, now, Claire and her husband, Mark, have got a website, Blown for Good, and a YouTube channel called Blown for Good. And Claire, you were in born and bred into Scientology, there for 30 years, had a dramatic escape, have had lots and lots of sharing that you've been doing since you've left Scientology. Um, when we when you were on last time, we really delved deep into your background there and what it was like growing up in Scientology and the dramatic. I, I still haven't quite got over that circumstances of yours and Mark's escape. So I will leave the link for the interview for that below. If anyone hasn't listened to that, please do after this. But first of all, how are you doing? I'm good, Catherine. Thank you so much for having me back. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, but the heavens have just opened here. You know what it's like because you were born in England. One minute it's sunny, the next minute it's pouring with rain. So suddenly the heavens have opened. So if you hear lots of banging on the roof, that's just the heavy rain, I hope. <laughs> um, it's nothing else. Yeah, being um, born in Manchester, I always remember that if there wasn't rain for two weeks, it was a drought. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. That's what like here in Britain, we talk about our cups of tea and our weather. And yes, uh, yeah, but and everybody has an umbrella at all times, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't anymore. That's the trouble, and I really need one. So, but we've got a lot to talk about today because you have got so much experience from what you've been through. And as I said, please, anyone that didn't watch our first interview, look at the link below and go and watch that after this one because it's fascinating. But a couple of things I really wanted to talk about today is one, your experiences having left Scientology because it, the story hasn't ended there by any stretch of the imagination. And the no, it, sorry, not to cut you off, but in many, in many respects, that's where the story began. <laughs> yeah, well, let's start there then, because, you know, leaving was an absolute nightmare anyway, which says a lot about the organization, why they make it virtually so impossible for people to leave. Can we start with that, Claire, and the issue of why is it so difficult to leave and how does the issue of collateral play into that? Yes, absolutely. Um, I would say at the outset, it's important to understand that there are different levels of escaping from Scientology. So, for example, a civilian Scientologist who just, you know, attends their local organization, many of those people can just drift away. They'll get phone calls or emails 
for years afterwards. Um, but it's just important to understand that where I was working, the C organization, and then on top of that at the headquarters on a 500 acre secure compound, um, it just, you know, at the deeper in you go, the harder it is to get out. I, I, I often think about it as like a, you know, going into a skyscraper and yeah. the further you go up, the harder it is to get out. It's, and it's a one way, um, one way trip it's, you know, or a spider web, the more you wriggle, the harder it is to get out, the more entrenched you become. Um, and, and in Scientology, it's, there's not only the, the aspect of the mental prison that you build up in your own mind after years and years, in my case, of indoctrination from the age of four. Um, but there's also the physical um, restrictions. You know, there's a security force that monitors everybody's movements. Um, then there's the, the leverage aspect. My family is all in Scientology and remains in Scientology to this day. Um, you know, I had very little contact with the outside world. Um, for many years, I never spoke with the the family, the extended family I had that were outside Scientology. So again, it's it's you know, it's it's a very small world. And as a result of that, it's very controlled, very leveraged, and very hard to get out. And even when you do get out, then, for example, in our case, I can't remember if we talked about this the last time, but um, I escaped and my husband and I were both declared suppressive people. So we were given, given a document that says, you're hereby declared a suppressive person. You're not allowed to speak to anybody in Scientology anymore, including my family, of course, and, and my husband's family. And we were given freeloader bills. And uh, we would be required to pay off those bills in full as a as a requirement if we were to ever go back into Scientology, which is the only means by which we would ever speak to our family ever again. And in our case, our bills were a cumulative total between the two of us of $159,000. Wow. And, and explain to the listeners, we could touch on this briefly, but this was for training that was compulsory that you went through to reach the levels that you did in Scientology. So can you just talk us through that process? Because we also discussed last time that one, the courses and the, if you could give us a little bit of the overview about the level that you'd reached in Scientology and what was involved in getting there. Yes, absolutely. Um, I started Scientology training and courses when I was six years old. Um, but then as a teenager, I did the counseling training. So I, I, so, and again, there's the, they call it the bridge to total freedom. I call it the bridge to total nonsense, just a matter of perspective. Um, but on the one side, so there's two sides to the bridge. The one side is the training courses where you learn how to administer Scientology counseling. The other side is the, the counseling. Um, so, you know, it starts off at the very bottom with, for example, the purification rundown where you spend five hours in the sauna and you take up to a whole regimen of vitamins, including up to 5,000 milligrams of niacin every day until you don't have any reaction to it, um, to remove drugs from the fatty tissues in your body, though there's no medical or science that backs that up. 
Um, anyway, and then you go up the, you, you do counseling up to, uh, first up to the state of clear, uh, where you're supposed to, you're supposedly addressing and handling your reactive mind. And then above that are the upper levels that are referred to as the OT levels or operating Thetan levels where you become, you know, next level superpower, uh, <laughs> there's OT one to 15, but only OT one to eight is actually available. Yeah. And I was in the middle of OT five and I was a class four auditor. And then of, of course, on top of that, um, I had extensive, um, management training and, uh, on Hubbard policies, not outside and not any actual, you know, real world <laughs> management. Um, but yeah, so I, I was in the C organization for, uh, 14 years. And as part of that being in the C organization, every member of the C organization is required to study two and a half hours a day. Um, so by a conservative estimate, I studied Hubbard policies, directives, um, databases of information, well in ex excess of 10,000 hours in, in the 30 years that I spent in Scientology. And that started at the age of six and then obviously never stopped during the time I spent in Scientology. And that was absolutely the level that you got to and also the level of sort of security um, clearance that you had and the type of work that you were doing was instrumental in you being invited to be an expert witness in the Danny Masterson trial. So obviously we're on YouTube, so we have to be really careful with the words that we're allowed to say. But can you just explain to the listeners a little bit because this is really, really crucial, I think, to understanding a lot of the workings of Scientology what the Danny Masterson trial was about and your very crucially your role in it, because this is the second trial that he'd been through. Yes, absolutely. Um, so there were three charges of essay um, uh, on three, three different women. Um, and in the first trial, um, there was the, the defense strategy started out never questioning that the events took place. Their strategy was different. Um, but yes, I was first approached prior to the first trial um, by the prosecution and asked if I would be willing to testify as an expert witness um, because of not only my knowledge of Scientology policy, procedure, et cetera, but also because um, I had you know, in the time, in the 14 years that I was in the C organization, I spent eight of those years working for Religious Technology Center, which is the highest ecclesiastical organization in Scientology, run directly by David Miscavige. And for four of those years in Religious Technology Center, I was number three. So I reported to Marty Rathbun, who reported to David Miscavige. So um, because of the my position in the organization, and because of my knowledge and because of my firsthand um, experiencing how crimes are covered up in Scientology, those are the really the key elements um, as to why I was asked to testify. Um, and of course, you know, no, it, it's not that um, <laughs> it, it was tough. It was not, you know, nobody wants to go up against a billion dollar cult just for the heck of it, you know, but I, I never had any question. It was the right thing to do is very important. Um, Scientology did play a huge role um, in 
those crimes and and obviously now a jury of Danny Masterson's peers have found him guilty of two of those charges and the third charge ended with a hung jury um and he was sentenced to life in prison um with with the possibility of parole after 30 years um and so my my testimony i didn't know the jane does i didn't know i knew of danny masterson i don't know danny masterson so my testimony had nothing to do with the facts of the specific charges it had to do with my firsthand knowledge and experience with Scientology policy, procedure, um, and, and the language of Scientology, because there were reports presented um, and that were part of the prosecution's case that were just um, deep, deeply involved the language yeah. and terminology of Scientology. So explaining that to the jury was the role that I played. Yeah, and it was such a crucial role and absolutely vital to actually get those convictions. It, 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 I can only imagine how difficult it must have been, but thank goodness. I think there's a real lesson there, Claire, isn't there, that um, you can't, when you know this information, not, as you say, not the specifics of the case, but let's delve into now why your knowledge of the procedures and policies. There were a couple of things from listening to you on your channel and Mark's interviews on other channels as well that really stood out for me. So can you explain, first of all, Scientology's view um, energetically of victims? Yes, absolutely. So in Scientology, there is what's called the emotional tone scale. And it um, at the very bottom is minus 40.0, goes up to zero, which is body death. And at the top is 40.0, serenity of beingness. And um, in Scientology, the whole theory and concept is that that Hubbard says, oh, well, with counseling and with training, you're going to move somebody up this emotional tone scale. And if they are if somebody is succumbing or committing transgressions or not following the moral code of the group, then they are um, below 2.0, which is antagonism. And they are essentially instead of surviving, they're succumbing. Um, Victim is a tone level on that tone scale of 0 0.1. So just a notch above body death. And why that's significant is because essentially the, the whole structure of Scientology is that uh, a Scientologist does not believe in victim, the concept of victim. And in fact, it's, it's used as a slur in Scientology of, oh, stop being a victim. And in addition to that, Hubbard has what he referred to as the overt motivator sequence, which is um, if you 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 do something and then you now deserve uh, to be the victim, you know, to re to be the recipient of a crime, let's say. So in other words, the approach, it's for all intents and purposes to keep it real simple, it's victim shaming. So if I if I have somebody punches me in the face, let's say, uh, that's a motivator. I've done, I've punched somebody else in the face, whether it be this lifetime or in earlier lifetimes, doesn't really matter. The way that Scientology is going to handle me being punched in the face and me saying, Hey, Joe punched me in the face. This is not okay. They're going to be like, Okay, what have you done? Like, Joe, who did you punch in the face? Uh, and it turns it on yourself to make you 
the cause of anything that happens to you. And it becomes, it's very, um, it's just the mechanism of smoke and mirrors of, you know, it all comes back to you. Um, and, and even saying something and it can get worse. So then let's say I say, no, no, Joe punched me in the face. This is not okay. Well, then I, I have to report that to the Scientology police officer, the equivalent, which is referred to as the ethics officer. And I have to write a knowledge report and, um, and I have to report it to the ethics officer whose job is to then investigate what I'm reporting. Well, if Joe is a Scientologist in good standing, then the ethics officer is instructed by L1 Hubbard to file that report, quote, with a yawn, unquote. So if Joe is a good Scientologist and donating lots of money and doing his thing, no consequences. Um, if I then continue to make a stink about it, I can be put under a gag order. And that happened with one of the Jane Doe's. Yeah. Uh, the, the term in Scientology is a non-interbulation order. The by mechanism and and by fact, that is a gag order. So now I'm no longer allowed to say anything about Joe. Otherwise I'll get kicked out, lose my family, lose my job, have my kid taken out of daycare, you know, whatever, all the on and on and on. And I'll be subject to the practice of fair game, which means that Scientology can viciously attack, harass, stalk, um, lie about, you know, on and on and on with the intended result of muzzling me, silencing me, destroying me. It's so horrific. There's so much I want to unpack here because um, the victim shaming is absolutely horrendous. And we do see some parallels with this in the sort of spiritual community where we've got this concept that, you know, we attract everything into our lives. And so you can see some some parallels there. But this was so instrumental in the case, actually, in his conviction in the end, because your evidence was explaining why the victims hadn't gone initially to the outside police is that correct so could you explain what is it um what how do Scientology view the legal system the law enforcement system and the restrictions as a high ranking member of Scientology that you would not be allowed to go to those had a crime been committed yes absolutely it is policy in Scientology that if a if a crime is committed by one from between two Scientologists, the it is dealt with entirely with and in Scientology. It is reported to the ethics officer, which is the Scientology police officer. It's their responsibility to report that to um, the Office of Special Affairs, which is the organization that does all the hand, handles all the private investigators, legal, public relations of the church, so uh, of Scientology. So it's not only uh, it, there's there's layers to it. Yeah. Um, there's complete disdain in many, many policies by L. Ron Hubbard of the judicial system, of government agencies, of the police. And keep in mind, historically, this goes back to the 70s, um, where Office of Special Affairs was called the Guardian's Office. Mm-hmm. And um, Scientology was convicted in, in the late 70s of the largest infiltration of U.S. government in its history. Oh, and 12 Scientologists, including L. Ron Hubbard's wife, Mary Sue Hubbard, went to jail. 
wow I don't know how I didn't know that that is absolutely incredible and I think this is this is you can imagine the the bravery of these victims in the Danny Mastersons to actually have the courage with all these awful things that, you know, the gagging orders, the fact that it nothing was done about it when they reported it. And of course, these are just the people that we know about. Um, it's absolutely horrendous. I can, it's disgusting. And I think this is so relevant for people to see what sort of organisation would effectively cover up such horrendous crimes going on. And if those of you, we can't really go into detail about exactly what happened, but you can find that anywhere by searching yourself, because unfortunately we're not allowed to use some of this terminology on YouTube. So, I mean, when you actually leave Scientology as a high up member of yourself, or if you're, say, a victim that has, so one of the Jane Doe's, did report out to the external police, is my understanding, and then got into a lot of trouble for doing that. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. I would encourage, uh, and first of all, sorry, just to finish on the, the Guardian's office and the people that went to jail, I would encourage anyone to just Google Operation Snow White, and um, that gives all the information, all the documentation on Mike Rinder's blog, um, he has ext extensive documentation of that. And it's just part of the history. Scientology has been getting away with this for seven decades. So unfortunately, the situation with the Jane Doe's is not isolated at all. Um, there were there were many cri similar crimes that I knew of that were covered up. And that was just the practice of Scientology. No Scientologist ever thinks to call 911. And as, as we talked about, I didn't even think to call yeah. 911 when they were trying to kidnap me and bring me back. You know, it just it just never would have crossed my mind. In Scientology, the laws and policies and directives of L. Ron Hubbard, Trump the laws of any country a scientologist will follow policy above anything else period end of story yeah now i uh, it's just horrific and it's absolutely amazing that justice to a large extent has been served albeit very very late in the day and so many people have spent years actually having to go through this as you say this is just the tip of the iceberg and i did see mark um, I think it was yesterday or the day before on Growing Up With Scientology, obviously brilliant channel, talking about some of the other cases that you guys were aware of. This is just the tip of the iceberg, as you say. There's so many different levels of crimes that have been covered up. What are your thoughts, Claire? Do you think some of these now are going to start to be exposed? Uh, I absolutely believe that, yes, this is going to, this is just, just the beginning. Yeah. And, um, and if nothing else, the public awareness is increasing by the day. And I hope this gives the other victims courage to come forward. Um, but we already know of, uh, of, you know, we're already helping some other victims come forward. So um, I absolutely know this is just the beginning. And I just applaud, you know, the Jane Doe's for their tenacity, courage, per perseverance, I mean, I cannot even imagine, you know, it's what, imagine testifying to brutal incidents that happened to you, not, not only once, yeah. but twice, twice. Um, and, and the, and a big part of the reason why the jury 
was hung the first time, in my opinion, um, had to do with the fact that in the first trial, again, because of the defense strategy, like the defense was not saying, oh, we're, we're not going to say these things didn't happen. But during the course of that trial, that first trial, they changed that and started to question, well, we're, we're, you know, they just changed their strategy to start to question if these things ever happened, which brought Scientology into it, which is why then in the second trial, the judge said, no, yes, Claire Headley, go ahead and testify and give your expert witness testimony because of the reports that the prosecution had that had been turned into Scientology at the time the incidents took place. Yeah, I, I mean, the cover up is just absolutely beyond disgusting. And it's like anything, you know, how many other victims needn't have been victims had this been brought to light when it should have been absolutely horrendous and say the courage of those Jane Doe's and anyone who has got the courage to really take this forward is just amazing because it's the only way these monsters get stopped. Right. Um, now, there's been a lot of hoo-ha because some of the stuff that was released at the um, trials were the witness sort of statements and letters from people like Ashton Kushner and his wife, what she called Mila Kunis. Yeah, Mila Kunis. Yeah, yeah, I'm hopeless with anyone who's a supposed celebrity. I wouldn't recognise <laughs> them if they were standing next to me. But I think mm. this, I was delighted when I saw this, Claire. I really want to know how you feel, because to me, this was exactly like the hornet's nest has been opened and now we're going to see a lot tumbling down. Talk us through, for those people that haven't seen that, what the um, excitement is about this and, and the backlash that's happened all over social media. I just wanted to say that today's episode is sponsored by ASEA redox signaling molecules. Now, it comes in two forms, the liquid and the gel, plus there's a huge other product range for us. Um, but why did I start taking ASEA and why is it now an integral part of something that my whole family, both four-legged and two-legged, take every single day? Plus also something that all the clients I work with, again, four-legged and two-legged, it's number one on my priority list. Well, part of what I do, what I'm passionate about, is understanding the challenges that are affecting each and every one of us in today's modern living. Um, the more you know, the more sometimes you wish you didn't know, but the pollution in the air, in the water, in the food, um, the control of our minds, the propaganda. But one of the things that we can do is take back responsibility for our own health. Now, every single cell of our body, whether we're an animal, whether we're one of the dogs in the backgrounds or one of my plants, contain these redox signaling molecules. And cellular health and cellular communication is absolutely key, whether you want to get your body back in balance, whether you want to reverse the aging process, whether you want to address any particular challenges that you've got physically, emotionally, it all starts with healthy cells. If your liver cells are healthy, your liver's healthy. If your brain cells are healthy, your brain's healthy. But just like a mobile phone, most of us have got mobile phones that we, we use on a routine basis now. But that mobile phone, regardless of whether you've got the latest model, is completely useless without a signal. So what does this technology do? Um, the the gel is something that you can apply topically over particular areas of concern, whether you want your skin to look better, whether you've got cellulite, whether you've got an area that's causing you a challenge. 
the liquid is something you drink each and every day to top up what should be in your cells anyway. But when our bodies are stressed, diseased, challenged, or as we age, we make less of them. So personally, I wouldn't be without a tip. My sleep's better. My energy levels are better. My mood's better. My mobility's better. If you want to find out more, the details are below. But I'm so grateful that this came into my life. And I'm so grateful I can share it with others. I hope you love it as much as I do. Let me know. Yes, no, absolutely. Um, and I will say, by the way, too, before I forget, the um, it, the victim impact statements from the Jane Doe's are available online. I really recommend people read those. Also on Leah Remini's Substack, she yeah. released a letter that Jane Doe One's mother wrote to David Miscavige, the head of Scientology, demanding that Danny Masterson be held accountable and brought to justice for the crimes he committed against her daughter. Anyway, but yes, no. So, so essentially, um, Danny Masterson's, I suppose his defense and maybe also the family asked for letters of, uh, character letters. I think they're called mm -hmm. to be submitted to judge Charlene Olmedo, um, prior to his sentencing. And, um, there are, I think, I think I heard that there were 50 letters. I haven't seen all of them, but yes, um, over at growing up in Scientology and other places too, um, Ashton Kutcher's letter and Mila Kunis's letter were uh, disclosed. Yeah. And, you know, boy, you want to judge somebody by their actions, go read that letter and see, see what you think about Ashton Kutcher after that. Um, you know, it, Danny Masterson has been found guilty by a jury of his peers and the letters are just outrageous. I mean, and then, and then on top of that, it's, as you said, it's just become this hornet's nest of then Ashton and Mila did an, an apology video that literally looks like a prisoner of war video. It really does. No remorse. No remorse. Yes. Complete disrespect considering they're both, top actors it it was well a body language expert would have an absolute field day there were a lot of in my opinion a lot of hidden messages in there and anyone please go and watch those on the internet because the language that Ashton Kutcher used was just ridiculous as well I mean there's so many that so many deep dives that could be done into this and why do you think that they've got collateral on him because it's very very odd I do. Um, and I don't have personal knowledge of it, but I know Aaron at growing up in Scientology, um, did a, d has done a number of videos about this since this hornet's nest has exploded. Um, but there's a lot of information, um, regarding Ashton actually, um, and, and a conversation that happened between Ashton and Danny Masterson. I don't want to speak out of place, but, mm -hmm. but in summary, um, Ashen was dating a woman that was murdered by a serial killer. Uh, Ashen went to her house, found her dead and left and didn't report it to the police. I mean, uh, and then that serial killer went on to kill other victims. It's just yeah. like, what human being does this? <laughs> this is not normal behavior. I'm, uh, you know. This is exactly it. When you start, this is why I think the ramifications of this trial 
are huge, absolutely huge. I mean, for those people that are in the more disclosure community, um, there have been a lot of rumours circulating about the behaviour action Kushner in loads of different ways, um, and none of them complimentary, I might add. Again, can't say too much on here. But there, when you start unpeeling the layers of this and the behaviour patterns and the friendship groups and who's involved with what, it is really quite scary. And I think my personal feeling, not knowing any of the inside things, is this is going to really explode into a huge, huge web of disclosure. Yep, absolutely. Uh, I mean, people do need to be held accountable for their actions. Yeah. You know, it's, you can't just, um, you just can't, especially not as a, a, a public opinion leader, a public figure, yeah. um, you know, the same, this is the same reason why um, I, I publicly posted regarding Tom Cruise. Mm. Um, he supports a billion dollar cult that abuses and destroys people's lives. And that, you know, how, how is, how are people not, not, how, how is this okay in today's, in this day and age, um, you know, uh, it's not. <laughs> it's really not. And the double standards are unbelievable. And when you're as high up in the organization as, as Tom Cruise, and in fact, most of the celebrities, actually, I would imagine, you, you can't pretend ignorance, they know exactly what's going on. And it's a deliberate choice. Although um, this does tie into a lot of other um, disclosures, in particularly around the at the entertainment industry, I'm wondering how much this collateral does play into a lot of these behaviours. Because without a shadow of a doubt, can you explain how Scientology collects collateral on people? Yes, absolutely. Um... Well, and of course, for celebrities, Scientology has a very targeted strategy by L. Ron Hubbard to bring in celebrities to celebrity centers. Yeah. You know, the biggest one, of course, is in Hollywood. Um, and they are, um, celebrities are just uh, cushioned, essentially. And, uh, you know, not that they're not... Um, I, I wouldn't say it's true that all celebrities in Scientology are aware of David Miscavige's physical abuse of staff, for example. Oh. Tom Cruise definitely is. Mm. Um, Tom Cruise is best friends with David Miscavige, at least he was when I was there. And that's what led to Shelley Miscavige doing a project to get Tom Cruise a wife, which she told me about personally. Mm. Um, but yeah, so, um, but in terms of collateral, um, in Scientology, they obviously, they have, not obviously, in any counseling session, every word the person says is written down, reports are written, uh, reports are kept in the person's ethics folder, their counseling folder, and if there's any kind of mishap or anything, any handlings being done, then reports of um, what's being done with that celebrity, what what's going on are sent to David Miscavige um, in Religious Technology Center. They're sent to the Office of Special Affairs. Like in other words, um, if there's one thing Scientology is very good at, it's paper trail documentation. And that's what they do. So, you know, for example, you look at the hate sites that they've 
put put up on anyone who dares leave Scientology and speak out, they're using all that anything that the person ever um, a, you know confessed to or admitted yeah. to, whether it be in a counseling session that Scientology will tell you, oh no, we can't tell you what this Scientologist did because that's priest penitent information. But the moment that person walks out the door or escapes, their fair game, bring it all out. Let's put it all out there for everyone to see and use it against the person. Yeah, which is unbelievably hypocritical, particularly what you've described to us about, I can't remember the name of it, but the energetic scale where victim is just above a dead body, you know, yes. to actually be deliberately behaving like that. But, you know, the the that paper trail could well be their downfall. And it certainly was for Danny Masterson in this case, once that evidence was allowed to be submitted. Um so tell yes, us and 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 that wouldn't it wouldn't be the first time either yeah. when when the FBI raided um several Scientology centers in the 70s their paper trail is what resulted in 12 yeah. people going to jail yeah let's hope let's hope yeah so when someone and there's quite a few of you that have been brave enough to sort of speak out and really spill the beans about the abuse and the uh, practices that do go on you and Mark, you know, since you've left, what sort of with people with your level of knowledge, because you were very, very high up in the organisation care, what sort of abuse have you guys suffered since you've left and how on earth do you cope with that? <laughs> yeah, um, I won't lie. I was terrified when I first yeah. escaped. Um, you know, even when Mark first started speaking out on the Internet, yeah, I was besides myself, um, you know, because I, I know full well what Scientology is capable of. Um, but even, even starting in 2006, when Mark had started posting it, posting on the internet before I'd ever spoken out publicly, um, they had private investigators following us. They had somebody walking by our house every day. They were doing special trash collections to take our garbage and go through it. They were take uh, getting our phone records. They had um, people pretending to be friends and coming to birthday parties and then rifling through our office and going through our stuff and reporting on everyone we were talking to. And by the way, um, we have we have the internal documents that show all of this that they were doing. Um, Mark has started doing a series on our YouTube channel yeah. called The Spy Files. Um, in which he's, you know, putting up and discussing these internal uh, memorandums, if you will, that that we now have that show that they were doing all these things. So it's not, you know, I'm not exaggerating. If anything, I'm understating yeah. the the levels that they went to. Th these are just the things that we know for sure. <laughs> but um, you know, anyway, Mark has talked talked about it. Please um, do anyone go to Claire and Mark's channel. Obviously, the link will be below because there's so much information on there and it's really, really valuable. I'll explain a bit more about that in a minute. Carry on, Claire. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and, you know, so so we've just oh, it's it's been such a practice for so long against us, even as of February this year, they uh, Scientology sent letters to all of Mark's clients um, with ironically a picture that one of their spies had taken of Mark at his birthday party in May, 2005, uh, 
passed out drunk on Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> and, and in 2012, I want to say, um, this person came to Mark and said, Hey, I saw you're writing a second book and that you're going to talk about how I was spying for Scientology. You don't want this photo to leak out. Do you <laughs> like trying to blackmail him? So of course, Mark turned around and posted it on social media. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what if are you going to say? The worst they've got, then he's doing pretty damn well, you know, for goodness sake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was his oh, first funny. birthday party out of the C organization. Come on now, really? Yeah, completely. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm always very grateful to be the age I am when no one had mobile phones when I was growing up. Because <laughs> no evidence of anything, so so I hope. But in all seriousness, I, we're laughing, but it's it must have been, and still is, horrendous for you. How have you as a family managed to cope with that? Yeah, no, it is. And, and I'm not making light of it either. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's not for the faint of heart. Um, you know, it's sad. It's, it's sad that we've just adjusted to account for this. Um, like for example, when Mark wrote his book, uh, we opted to self-publish because, um, other books at that time, this was in 2009, um, other books at that time that went through a publisher had been shut down by Scientology's lawyers. You know, they have such a litigious um, reputation, very validly so. Um, and and anyway, I, you know, I took the stance that, you know, we each have a path of recovery we need to go on. Um, e even prior to me speaking out, I supported Mark and I'm like, you know, I, I know, yes, we witnessed abuses and I'm terrified, but I don't, I'm not going to tell you, you can't, <laughs> that's not for me to, to say. And, and it does need to, it does need a, a exposure. It does need a light shone on this. Otherwise they're going to continue to get away with it. But so for example, when, when we released his book, um, we, uh, first, Wrote, wrote wills yeah. <laughs> we set it set up everything so that if anything did happen to us our children would be protected from Scientology um that our family would never have access to them you know and it sounds terrible to say that but it's the, it's the truth yeah. uh you know you can't we've just had to put things in place so that we know we're we're taking responsible and appropriate measures knowing the beast that we are up against yeah I, I, I mean you know in a world where so many people want to bury their heads in the stand but Sam because it's too overwhelming all the different problems that they're faced with it is incredibly brave what you have done both of you um it must be such a support that you've both had this shared experience Yes. I mean, it's, I think some days it's a blessing. Some days it's yeah. a curse, Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, but yes, of course, I'm incredibly grateful that our, you know, our marriage has survived and that we've, that we've Much been on this marriage. path together. <laughs> yeah. Again, we yeah. covered a lot of that for people. Please go and listen to the first interview because um, relationships <laughs> and not encouraged to flourish in Scientology. That's an understatement of the year. So what next for you and Mark and what you're trying to do? Because this work that you're actually doing, can you tell us a little bit about the work you do with the Aftermath Foundation? 
Yes, absolutely. Um, the aftermathfoundation.org is the website. And um, I'm currently serving as the president. Mark is a board member. And we help people start their lives over again after leaving Scientology and or the C organization. Um, because very often um, the world of Scientology is so isolating yeah. on so many levels. Um, so for example, we helped someone learn to drive got her a vehicle, you know, uh, another person, we help them get their GED. Uh, we have a career mentor program where we help people um, figure out what they want to do with their lives and build resumes and, you know, help them get the skills that they need. And, um, you know, and we have a mental health coordinator now who helps point people in direction of mental health resources so they can recover. Um, so, you know, it's, it's amazing and very necessary work, um, just in helping people get out of Scientology. And, and honestly, for me, I just speaking personally, it's just so therapeutic to be able to help somebody get out of a situation like we were in, um, there's no better way to fix or yeah. to work, to fix, you know, the, the terrible organization we were a part of for so many years than to do this work. And um, all the board members serve on a volunteer basis um, and we're just gaining momentum and it's a beautiful thing. It's absolutely amazing. I was watching, um, doing some research on the blue zones and the areas of the world where people live the longest, but most importantly, in live the longest in a happy and healthy way. And one of the things they came across, um, a Japanese word, ikigai, which is a sense of purpose, a reason for being. And you've really found yours, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um it, it's it, it's good. And you know, it's the beautiful thing too is that as our kids have grown older, you know, we've we've always approached the topic with our kids in an age appropriate way. Um, we've no, you know, I was encouraged when they were very little to just not lie to them about, but just to tell them the truth about who we are and where we came from. And, you know, why, if they ask why my mom is not in their lives, for example. Yeah. And, you know, it's sad. Like when my oldest son was seven, one day out of the blue, he turned to me and said, mom, when did your mom die? I'm like, son, she's not dead. Um, she is part of, you know, an organization that refuses to let her have any contact with me. And unfortunately, uh, that's not unconditional love. And hopefully one day she wakes up and she will talk to us again. Um, but so, you know, having to explain that to a seven-year-old is, it, it can be hard, you know, or um, anyway, so, so it's just a balance of, you know, find, finding peace and, um, and, and explaining to our kids who we are, where we came from, why we do what we do. You know, they've, they've met some of the people that we've helped to yeah. escape and they, they love it. And I think it's a beautiful thing to model, you know, that to our children that, you know, you just help people just, oh, you, you know, no questions asked, no strings attached, just help, help them start their lives over and make the world a better place. That's, that's my hope and my goal. <laughs> oh, it's just the best goal ever, Claire, because this is the thing is so many people uh, are caught in a loop of shame, of guilt, of 
feeling in, completely disempowered and you and Mark have completely had to rebuild your lives from scratch. Um, I mean, where did you even begin in that process? I just can't <laughs> imagine. Well, well and, and I will say it's been a complete joy to do that. Yes, we started with the clothes on our back at age 30 for me anyway, he, Mark was 32, uh, you know, $40 to my name, uh, very little resources, <laughs> but you know, I, I mean, we just hit, went at it and, and, and I cannot emphasize how much, you know, people will sometimes say to us, well, how, how are you so normal? I'm like, are you kidding? I'm building the only life I ever dreamed of yeah. every day is a, a free day for me to decide what I want to do today and what I want to accomplish with nothing handed to me on a silver platter, no expectations other than what I make it. And it's, it, and so it's been an amazing journey. And, um, and I just, you know, again, would just always encourage people to know that, you know, you can accomplish whatever you set your mind to. Absolutely. Uh, you know, maybe, yes, we, we've worked really hard and we've, you know, I, I used to think that I, I kind of had a mental struggle and I was like, well, is the work ethic that I have from, from that. But then a friend of mine, we were talking about it one day and, um, cause you know, yes, of course we worked very, very long hours and yeah, in my case, doing honestly useless stuff that in Scientology, not useless. I mean, it's management within Scientology, but what I mean by that is it doesn't translate to any real world skill that I would be able to hmm. put on a resume. I jo would joke with people like, hi, I'm Claire. Yes, please hire me. I was in a cult for 30 years, but I'm, I'll work really hard. I promise. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, so anyway, I, I lost my train of thought there, but, um, you know, we just, uh, the belief I went... that you've done it and you, it's not just belief. It's again, so much whenever I, try, I speak to you and I've listened to a lot of the stuff that you and Mark do on your channel, it's just brilliant. But the overriding thing that just keeps coming back to me, Kez, just just such amazing examples of what can be achieved with gratitude you've said it so many times about you know I'm just grateful for the fact that we're free now and that we can create the lives we want and you have done a most remarkable job I mean building that life and raising three children we all know that's not easy by any stretch of the imagination so fantastic achievement have you thought about doing work or do you do work with younger people as well because a lot of the younger generations now just do not have role models like this to show them what's possible. Yes, I have. In fact, prior to COVID, I had drafted a TED talk about oh. growing up in a cult, you know, be, not, not, not just about growing up in a cult, but just about, you know, the perspective of a child and not, you know, just don't take anything for granted yeah. and don't, don't wait for somebody to start your life, you know, there's nobody else that's going to do it other than you and your own bootstraps, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, so, and I, I actually did, a did the, um, draft of the Ted talk on our YouTube channel as well. Um, I, I never ended up actually doing it because then of course COVID hit and things shut down and I just never went back to it, but I did do it at our, one of our local high schools, 
Um, and, and it was amazing. The kids, the, you know, as teenagers that it was, a I think they were juniors and they asked such amazing questions. Um, it was just a beautiful experience. And I was really encouraged by the, um, their understanding and their willingness to, to hear what I had to say and ask meaningful questions and like, wow, what about this? And what about this? Anyway, it was, it was an amazing oh, experience. Good. Yeah. Oh, good for you. Can you send me the link and I can put it below this video for Absolutely. the channel? Because I really think it's so important because there's so many people that are feeling lost. They don't know what their purpose is, overwhelmed by that what they're seeing going on in the world, but not really knowing how to do something about it. And you've just got on and done it and and you're still getting on and doing it and you're creating but you're helping so much and the stuff that you share on your YouTube channel there's so many lessons in it Claire for so many people you know it's not just for people that have been in cults by any stretch of the imagination there's so much that people can take that out in terms of what's happening in their own lives and what what lessons they can learn from that. Yes, no, absolutely. Um, and I, and honestly, that has been one of the most encouraging things is, you know, there's a, um, in the, in the SPTV community that's sprung up and is just blossoming. Um, there, there's the category of people we refer to as never ends, or actually they refer to themselves as never ends. And, and it just, you know, the concept of somebody who, um, is watching and learning and, but they were never in Scientology. And honestly, yeah. that, that category of person most motivated me to speak out. And it started way back in the days when anonymous was protesting Scientology because it just struck me like, wow, these people have no skin in the game. They're not, uh, they were never in Scientology and yet they're willing to stand up and say, Hey, this is not okay. And I was like, who am I to be afraid and cowering and, you know, and, and not lend my voice to share my experiences and my knowledge. Um, I, I was just literally humbled by it. And, and anyway, it, it was really moving. And to, we, we received so many messages of, from people in the category of what you're saying that are like, Oh, I'm learning so much. And this is really helping. And it's, it's deeply moving. It really is. Absolutely brilliant. So how can people support you and your work and the Aftermath Foundation? Yes. So um, the aftermathfoundation.org is our website. We just redid it. So it's um, got a lot of resources on there now, a lot of information. People can donate, volunteer, um, contact us through there. Um, and then separate to that, we have our YouTube channel, Blown for Good, uh, blownforgood.com um, is where we sell Mark's book, Blown for Good Behind the Iron Curtain of Scientology. I'm in progress on my book now. So I'm hoping by early next year, I'll have that come to fruition. Finally, it's a work in progress. <laughs> so I'm getting there. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much. I'm really, really grateful for your time, Claire. I love speaking to you. I always feel so uplifted, whatever platform I'm watching you on. And um, anyone that's watching this, please do go and look, have a look at the Art Man Foundation. Please do consider 
contributing in whatever way you can because this is so important this is how we play it forward and this is how we really change the world one person at a time these people really really need the help and support and it would mean the absolute world for them to have people that show that they care so thank you so much Claire for your work such a pleasure have a fantastic such a pleasure I really appreciate you having me on I always thoroughly enjoy our conversation so I just appreciate it Thank you, Claire, and thank you so much for everyone that's watched with us. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And if you feel inspired, please do share with your friends and family. My goal is to inspire as many people as I can to live their best lives, to stay curious and to raise their consciousness and that of the collective. So to do this, I need to reach as many people as possible and this needs your help. If you feel drawn, would you be willing to share your favorite episode with five different people? This helps us spread the word and also helps me encourage some exciting new guests to take part in this podcast. If you feel drawn to do that, I will be very, very grateful. All the links and discount codes where applicable for all the products that I support are on my two websites, katherineedwards.life and katherineedwardsacademy.com. All of the products are personally tried and tested by me, my family and my clients. And finally, please do press the follow or subscribe button, depending which platform you're listening on. And above all, stay curious and stay free. Mm -hmm.